0: Hey everybody, it's me, Evgeny. Before we start today's interview, I want to let you know about an event later this year, which if you're into this podcast, will be right up your alley. It's called Data Center World and it's scheduled for August 16th in Orlando, Florida. Data Center World is the leading conference and expo for data center and IT infrastructure professionals. It's the only industry event that delivers exclusive state of the data center research findings, in depth workshops, 50 plus conference sessions, keynotes from industry luminaries, the largest offering of data center technology solutions, and unlimited networking opportunities. Find out more about the event and register at www.datacenterworld.com. That's www.datacenterworld.com. Hope to see you there. Hi everybody, welcome to the Data Center podcast. This is Yevgeny, Editor-in-Chief at Data Center Knowledge. We have with us today, Jim Poole, he's VP of Business Development at Equinix. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You have this little tagline on LinkedIn, uh, responsible for the investigation and seeding of new digital ecosystems. Yes. Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> yes. What are, what, are, what are these new digital e- ecosystems and, and how do you seed them?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. So, um, so I don't think it's, it's lost on anybody that the, the secret sauce of um, Equinix is the ecosystem idea, right? We've essentially got a whole bunch of people who buy and sell to each other in the same building, right? That's, that's what makes Equinix different than say, you know, a wholesale data center provider who, you know, gives you a lease and gives you the keys and you walk away, right? (laughs) Kind of a thing. So our, our whole thing is this buy sell dynamic. So, you know, historically there was, you know, an inherent value proposition around something like peering, right? Peering was one network needs to do business with another network and they needed a common place to do it. So they came to our sites and the content guys showed up, right? Um, Eventually that extended out of networking and content and went into financial right because it became a low latency game so if you go to secaucus with us or if you go to tokyo or london you know we've got a whole bunch of algorithmic traders all sitting right on top of each other the most efficient way for one digital entity to talk to another digital entity so say you know your it infrastructure to talk to the cloud or one network to talk to another network uh, is to do that through a cross connect of some sort right that could be physical could be just fiber that connects your cage to the other guy's cage that's like the low latency trading environment there's just a piece of cable between the two sites peering is usually more everybody's on the same router right and they're all talking to each other over the same router because you're sharing routes right? That's how the internet functions, the network of networks. Everybody shares everybody else's routes. And then, you know, recently, it's more around um, automated private interconnection between, say, a network or an enterprise who sits in our facility and a cloud provider. So now it, now nobody wants to wait for some guy to go plug a cable in from one side to the other side. They want to do it magically, right? SDN, right? Everything mm-hmm. needs to be fast, right? So when we say, digital ecosystems and I kind of gave you those examples the last one being cloud right it's everybody right. wants to connect to cloud now um, those are really big headline like everybody conceptually I think gets that is okay yeah I can see why you know a needs to talk to B but if you were to say okay well how does um, the satellite business work <laughs> in the context of that or how does uh, the mobile network work? In that environment, or how does uh, subsea cables work in that environment? That's what I do, right? My job is to basically go look at this from, you know, a how do I keep adding value to the ecosystem that is Equinix by making it easier for people who may not necessarily normally interact with somebody like us to help them see that hey, there's a, a real value in being a customer of Equinix. Um, and so that's what I work on, basically.
0: I see. So um, maybe let's drill down into those few examples. So mobile. Yeah. Have you, have you been able to seed a mobile?
1: Yeah, so we're in the process. So that, I would say that, I would call that the in-process project, <laughs> right? So Okay. Um, and the way to think about that is that mobile networks um, up until 5G are consumer constructs, right? 99.9% of the usage is for a cell phone. So it's just voice and people you know doing their thing 5g as a network is intended as a business venture right it's to attract business usage onto the network because you could do a bunch of things that you couldn't do like you know quality of service and very high throughput and very low latency right stuff that the current mobile network the 4g network doesn't support however telecom infrastructure in the existing mobile networks all sits Inside of their buildings, and they backhaul the traffic to places like us because latency was never a design consideration, right? The fact that it's 40 to 50 milliseconds doesn't bother any, you know, consumer on a cell phone. Netflix works just fine, right? Everybody's happy. However, if I wanted to do something that, say, had much lower latency, or I didn't want to transport traffic, you know, huge, huge distances, hundreds of miles, um, then I would need to start breaking traffic out more locally. Right. And I would need to do it at a place where the applications that want to have access to that traffic live. Well, that's a place like Equinix. And that's not like I said, as much as everybody would think, oh, every network already knows how to get into every data center. That's not actually how it works. Right. A lot of networks, wireline networks show up in places like Equinix and they connect. However, the mobile networks never did that. And so what we do now is we're looking at you know various different paths that says okay how how do you make it possible to deliver a, deliver a five G service to an application that sits inside of an Equinix data center? Um, so that that that's one big area that I work on, as an example. Um, the second I think that I mentioned to you was um, subsea cables, right? And I've seen I've read a couple of your articles. You did a nice job. <laughs> um, and in the subsea cable business, the thing that's changed. In the last, say, decade, is that it used to be, you know, 99% of all cables were run by consortiums or big individual telcos. They would go build a cable under the ocean for hundreds of millions of dollars, and then they'd go wholesale it out to a whole bunch of different people. Um, now, just fast forward to 2021, 20, uh, 60% plus of the cables are invested by the hyperscale companies. And they have a very different view of what they want to do with that capacity than, say, a telco who's trying to monetize it by selling it. They're, they're doing it for traffic engineering purposes, right? They're trying to do it to cater to the fact that their business needs a big, giant network. So what they like to do is invest, say, with a telco. They co-invest, and then they want to bring all that capacity into a place where it's easy to break it out to all the various different people who own it together. And then they don't have to deal with each other after that. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier. So the Equinix environment, which is a multi-tenant environment, lends itself much better to that dynamic. And the fact that most of the wired line terrestrial networks already sit inside of Equinix facilities. So I'm just trying to connect, say, a brand new cable that comes in from Europe and connects in Virginia Beach, right? They'll they, what they'll do is they'll put the power feed equipment in Virginia Beach, but they put the laser that powers it in Ashburn right? And because Ashburn is where they meet all of their partners. And so, voila. So we do that to the tune of, um, I think we've done 40 different cable projects in the last five years. We did 10 just this last year, as an example, under different various different types of scenarios, but at the highest and level. And
0: by, by cable projects, you mean projects related to a cable landing?
1: Yeah, to a cable landing Maybe. in yeah. a particular metro, because- um, Like
0: in- enabling that connection, you know, from you know, from the opposite shore, to to the terrestrial networks on the shore that you're on. Yeah.
1: And the fancy thing we just did to make it even more fun <laughs> was we had a, a customer who was landing in a place that didn't have existing cables landing there, so there was no existing asset to uh, uh, to sweat. And so this was Bordeaux, France. So we deployed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a brand new data center in bordeaux France. except this is not a quote unquote stick built, like we go and pour a slab and build walls and do all the normal things you do to build a big giant data center. This was actually a modular data center design. So it's built in a factory. That's uh, one of the use cases, you know, we, we look at, you know, in our business, because our business is really driven by interconnection. So the thing we're trying to do is say, well, cables, subsea cables, Draw a lot of interconnection, right? People want access to the cable to put their traffic across whatever body of water that they're trying to, you know, get across. Planet 70% water, <laughs> right? So, right. Um, so when you don't necessarily have a place uh, where you have an existing data center, um, and you have a short time you want to deliver, then modular facilities make a lot of sense because you can do it a lot faster. Um, in this particular case, that was the desire. the The company that we were dealing with wanted to be there quick and so we were able to do that
0: and this was the first time Equinix deployed uh, in this kind of prefabricated modular fashion and others have done it over the years uh, this is a first for Equinix in a way this is kind of Equinix's response to the network operators wanting a more distributed edge right to have to have these interconnection points in more locations than kind of the traditional metros right
1: yeah it, well it's another it's another interesting example of how the take the subsea example, how it's changed in the sense that it used to be, because the application was predominantly voice, it was very much driven by big population center to big population center. So if you looked at all the the transatlantic cables, they went from London to New York. (laughs) Why? Because there's lots of people in both places and they wanted to talk to each other, right? Now, well, what's the biggest internet exchange point on the East Coast? It's not New York, it's Ashburn. It's Virginia, right? right? And there are other interconnect points along the coasts. And so what's happening now is these new cables don't go from just New York to uh, to London. They go from Virginia to Bordeaux, or from um, you know multiple places, uh, Boca Raton down to Fortaleza, Brazil, right? Things that hadn't been done before. So you know it's more of a, a lot a lot of these interconnections are now more direct, straight shots because the technology allows for it now. There's been improvements in how the cables get built. And so that means there's an interest in diversity. Not everybody wants to all be necessarily in one place. There's some advantage to doing that, but at some point you wanna get to other big cities, right? France is a big place.
0: So the connection to Bordeaux is interesting because of Bordeaux, not because of some other element or some other city nearby or, you know, tell me, you know, why, why Bordeaux? Why is this cable landing in Bordeaux?
1: Uh, well, that there's access to you know it's a it's an alternative route, right? It's not in the one of the existing sort of well-used routes, so it's a new net new landing. Um, there's also an interest in our part of you know we we have customers who very much pursue a land and expand uh, behavior with us. They are our customers, and then they when they go to new markets, they go to markets that we exist in because it's where the path of least resistance if they want to keep expanding. So, you know, for a long time, France just happens to be a country in which we only operated in Paris, even though we would constantly be asked about other large cities in France. And so the nice coincidence of, hey, uh, a hyperscaler investing in a subsea cable who wants a net new landing place and Equinix, who has got customer demand to be in a brand new metro in a place like France. Uh, So nice coincidence we can go ahead and solve that problem by deploying the modular facility so that's basically what happened in that case
0: and and modular for you guys is a way to reduce risk exposure or or maybe right size capacity for that market because maybe bordeaux is in a huge market right but in case it turns out to be huge you can or bigger than yeah than this yeah. particular deployment you can add uh, yeah you have more flexibility
1: in terms of now, the normal um you know data center operator behavior is you build a a shell that's capable of say supporting you know 10 20 megawatts of capacity right. and then you spend years filling it up in stages, right? but you still have to big that build that big shell, right um, in this particular case, like you said, Bordeaux is a smaller smaller market. Um, you know the use cases for that cable are transport and some amount of caching infrastructure, but it's not necessarily going to be like Paris, right it's not going um, unless
0: a massive... unless all the wineries uh, have a massive <laughs> hey. digital transformation
1: there you go. That could that could that could happen. Then we'd have to go to the south of France too, I guess. We'll have to I'll have to take that down as a what a, to-do. What a terrible
0: what a <laughs> terrible perspective. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the X about X scale, which is kind of the hyperscale initiative. So Equinix has built an extremely successful business on this laser-focused strategy of retail collocation and interconnection. Um, if you a few years ago. Equinix got got into this hyperscale business, you know, leasing by the, you know, by megawatts, plural, at at low costs, relatively low um, to what you guys are used to leasing space for. Um, And then, you know, and you've had some success there, most recently pre-leasing huge buildings in in their entirety to hyperscalers in Dublin and London. Um, Can you just explain why Equinix is in this cutthroat, low margin, high upfront investment business of building data centers for hyperscale platforms, uh, when it's been so you know thriving in the interconnection retail colo market? Sure,
1: yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, so uh, fundamentally, the, the focus of the company has not changed, right, we still um, make the majority of our our revenue and spend the majority of our time on the retail co location business, we sell by the rack, right, not by multi megawatts. However, if you think about just the growth of of a cloud market, um, any individual cloud company, although this is starting to change outside of the US, was not necessarily anywhere near as big as what they would build in the US. And so they've been customers of ours for a very long time, not just like in the US, they're, they're customers for gateway infrastructure and caching infrastructure, but their AZs sit in their own facilities next to hydroelectric dams where power is super cheap, right? That's their normal, and wholesalers build that for them. Right? And we haven't. And so what was happening was we had some regular server capacity in a lot of our overseas, and they would come to us and say, Hey, I'm ready to go big, right? (laughs) I I want more. And I love the Equinix footprint, right? One throat to choke in all of these various different countries. I don't want to have to go to local company ABC because, you know, and although it's starting to change, we're still the biggest, you know, multi country international player. And so the question was for us, how could we uh, satisfy the customer, but not necessarily you know, completely change the focus of the company? And so the way we did that is basically through this JV structure. So you know, the reason we call it X scale is to call out the fact that it is different than the rest of the business. And so when we do this, what's happening is we own 20 percent of the JV and we have an 80 percent investment partner. Right. In the case of, you know, um, the uh, the one that we've got set up right now is GIC, which is a a Singaporean sovereign wealth fund, basically. And so we get a fee for managing the facility. We have operational control of the facility. So we get paid fees for that, for managing that. Um, But it sits off balance sheet because it's a JV. And only our percentage of the profits from whatever the JV generates comes onto balance sheet. So it doesn't dilute right? It doesn't brag, drag down the margin profile of the core business. Because it's it's essentially, it's a financial way of solving. And for us, just strategically, it means that in a lot of these overseas markets where, you know, we uh, want to it maybe extend or maybe even go into a new market at some point, we have a way of doing that in conjunction with say, a big hyperscale customer um, who will go there with us, right? And that makes it attractive. So you know it's primarily a financial thing, um, but we can do it, and well, we can do it in in a way that it, like, say, it doesn't fundamentally change. It's it's actually run as is as a separate business unit.
0: Another piece of recent news is Equinix's partnership with Dell around Apex, mm-hmm. which is Dell's new on-demand, subscription-based hardware as a service offering. Um, this particular deal is focused on storage. Dell is basically offering storage as a service in an Equinix facility of their choice uh, to a customer. Whichever Equinix facility a customer chooses, they can use Dell Storage. Um, how does this work from your side? You know, did Dell lease or reserve a bunch of capacity in a bunch of Equinix data centers? Are they deploying st- storage hardware before customers subscribe to the service?
1: I mean, basically, it's it's like many um, you know people who do business out of Equinix. They you know buy space from us. Uh, they've got a roadmap for places they want to go. And then you know they use our fabric interconnection services to then reach you know the counterparties because what they're trying to cater to from a use case perspective and I'm, this was in their press releases and we see this a lot right is this idea of private storage public compute right people don't want the data to sit in the public cloud they want to maintain ownership of that but buying independent storage that is not part of a hyperscale cloud offering has not been something easy to do at scale so essentially, you know the the sort of enhanced level of cooperation between us is the fact that there are a customer who's on fabric who is actively selling this for this particular use case. We have lots of customers who will set up inside of Equinix to do business and not necessarily come on fabric and not necessarily even talk to us about <laughs> you know going to market together and that kind of thing. So there's you know more collaboration because we both see a tremendous amount of value in this for the enterprise customer. Um, but you know the relationship is a relatively standard relationship.
0: So so this is basically Dell acting as a as a cloud service provider and using Equinix data centers. Correct. Yep. Yeah. It's a good because, way to so these you know Apex services overall the way they're marketing them is you know you can deploy any Dell infrastructure in any location. It could be your own data center, it could be a colo of your choice. Um, in this case, they're actually proactively taking down space and building out this infrastructure which yeah. which they're then offering as a basic like a cloud service.
1: Yeah, it's recognition of the fact that, you know, like so on that continuum of private data center, co-location facility, public cloud, <laughs> there's a great, you know, movement toward, you know, co-location public cloud, right? A lot of all the corporate data centers are closing down. So yes, obviously they'll continue to to do what they've always done, which is ship stuff wherever you'd like it to go. However um, it's not lost on anybody that since we have the biggest base of enterprise customers that we're a really good place to do that business because we also have all of the networks and all the cloud gateways sitting in our facility. So if you're building a hybrid cloud scenario, which is what most of our enterprise customers do, then Equinix is kind of the place to do it at. And so Dell certainly recognizes that, you know, that's the value of being in an Equinix facility.
0: Is there any kind of flexibility in this partnership with Dell in terms of capacity? I imagine they don't have great amount of visibility into what demand is going to be like for the service because it's brand new or where it's going to be. Um, Is there any kind of freedom they have to, I don't know, scale up and down in different markets as, as they kind of get rolling yeah this. that
1: part i'm not i couldn't say i haven't been the the guy who's been dealing with the details of it so I, I don't know how they're thinking about how they're doing capacity planning uh against you know all the various markets i know that they have a, a rollout schedule on multiple markets on our side but I you know i don't know the details of how they're thinking about it. it is a new service so i assume that you know we'll all learn that along the way
0: okay fair enough um and so They're not the only big hardware vendor that's doing this. And HPE has their uh, GreenLake service, you know, trying to also sell everything as a service, everything as a subscription. Um, Does Equinix have similar deals with any of these other vendors? Uh, Do you expect this trend to drive a lot of revenue for Equinix?
1: Oh, there's a ton. I mean, you know, well, I guess the way I would say if I had to characterize how the market has changed, let's think of it that way, is historically um, you know, the folks that came into our facilities uh that were doing sort of managed compute infrastructure were sort of what you would think of as a traditional MSP, managed service provider, right? So a systems integrator, somebody like that would come in and do deployments for customers and they'd buy space for that customer to do that deployment, and then they'd manage it on their behalf. That's been a part of our business since the day we opened the doors. Uh that's very traditional. What has changed a lot now is that a lot of the um, traditional appliance and software licensing companies are looking for different business models, right? They're trying to figure out how they do MRR, right? They want OPEX solutions for their customers because that's the that's what cloud did, right? Cloud gave everybody an OPEX answer. So um, yes, we are increasingly seeing companies come to us and say, hey, you know, I, I need to figure out how to deliver what i do as a service um so that's always an interesting you know dynamic and that is new that is you know i can think of you know companies i might have talked to 10 years ago said oh well why don't you proactively put a bunch of stuff in our facilities and they would have said no (laughs) by default now a lot of companies are are thinking about it we have other products that kind of take advantage of that dynamic so for example um we have a service called network edge which is an NFVI platform. And essentially that allows an enterprise customer to deploy, bring their own license. They can deploy a VNF, right? From a curated set of, you know, it's all the common guys like Cisco and Velo and CloudGenics and Palo Alto and so on and so forth. Um, But, you know, nobody wants to own the box, right? Anymore. They just want to deploy the VNF on infrastructure that's sitting in the place that they need it right and so we've accommodated you know that kind of emotion so yes everybody there is a huge amount of interest in as a service right so uh, cisco is also
0: so cisco is also moving in this direction right and and juniper and so i guess they're also deploying hardware on all these colos and then they want to become software as a service companies
1: yeah i mean every every uh trying to think of, you know, good examples, like, you know, if you see Zoom, right? Or if you see, you know, all the UC companies, right? Same, you know, same thing. used to be companies bought MCUs, right? The old mixers. (laughs) Nobody does that anymore. Um, Everybody buys, you know, these types of services. And these types of services that have a huge dependency on networking um, tend to land in our facilities because we have so many networks in an individual facility
0: so okay so you're saying this this dell deal is basically part of a trend that's been going on for a while across the industry
1: yeah yeah yes yes it's i mean you know certainly the bigger guys are now i think more interested in it as evidenced by you know what dell's doing um but it's been happening for a while and i can i imagine that it will you know continue to accelerate like you know we'll have i give you another good example of a public Another public customer um, would be Nokia, right? So Nokia, mm-hmm. everybody knows Nokia as a company that builds routers, right? Optical equipment, radio equipment, cell phones, and cell phones. I mean, they you know they build lots and lots of different things, but they built the the componentry to go do these things, right? And so uh, a couple of years ago, what they did with us was they announced a service called Wing, and Wing is essentially an IoT grid as a service. So the idea is that they'll do all the data collection off of all of the devices across their own network that is highly distributed around the world so that they can take care of say IoT business for a a geographically bound operator who has devices that go everywhere, right? You always hear these cases in telecom of somebody launching an IoT service in uh, Sweden and then turn it on and they start getting telemetry from 75 countries. Right. And so the question is, well, how do I collect all that data? Um, That's, you know, a real pain in the ass. And so normally the way the technology vendors dealt with that was they would go sell the operators, a bunch of boxes and a bunch of software (laughs) and say, Hey, I'll integrate all this for you by operator and build, build each operator, its own snowflake, right? Everybody gets their own thing now. They've taken a bunch of those piece part components that they normally would have sold on an independent basis and they pull, pulled it together on it as a global as a service offer. It is an IOT management offer that exists in a whole bunch of Equinix facilities all around the world. And they sell that basically to operators who want you know, that sort of global comprehensive offering and don't wanna go build it, right? That would be another example.
0: And I wanna go back to this modular deployment in, in Bordeaux just briefly. Um, how so this was the first one um how big of a business do you think this type of deployments will become for equinix um
1: it's it's really you know we're taking it as we see it right there there is another um another project that we're working on um in Europe that is you know likely to and in fact I think actually yeah we did announce it it's it's um in Genoa. it's a, it's a similar situation um and so you know these do come up like say we're tracking i guess the way to think about it is we're probably tracking an incremental 60 subsea cable projects over the next 2 to 3 years um so we are in the very very sort of top of a building boom that's been going on for the last few years and it's going to continue to go on for the next next few years so in part you know we developed the solution to be able to react to those but, you know, subsea cable projects are interesting. They take years to develop. An individual project will take two, three years. So at the point at which the project is conceived, they don't even necessarily know where it's going to land. <laughs> they figure that out as they go along because there's a whole lot of regulatory and environmental and other things that they have to deal you mean with. They
0: know, they know the general They know generally region, where they want it to region. Region, they yeah. just don't have specific location. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, so, you know, we are reacting to a situation that says, hey, I can be you know, flexible within my business model, right? And I want a business model, like I said, that it's a nice coincidence of sort of our normal multi-tenant retail demand and this subsea cable. You know, we're not in the business of just building subsea landing stations for the sake of building a landing station, that's not very exciting. Um, However, we are interested in, you know, markets. We, you know, do acquisitions, we grow, we do it organically. Um, So, you know, it's just another tool, basically.
0: In case of landing stations, especially in new markets, if you are kind of the first facility where that landing station or where that uh, new cable connects to, you kind of become the gateway to that market. And so then anybody else that comes in um, is you know, almost going to have to come and, and take space with you. Oh, right? there
1: certainly would be an argument for path of least resistance. And that would be something we would you know, consider as part of you know, the attractiveness of, of a project or not.
0: Yeah, so kind of what you know, uh interaction did in marseille
1: right yeah no that was the, i mean that was the classic exam it was probably one of the first you know points that developed around that sort of hey the the guy who runs the landing station is an independent operator he's not he's not one of the participants in the system right, right? so it used to be like i used to work at cable and wireless years ago so we we deployed subsea cables as a big part of our business and we owned the landing station usually with another telco and so it was a game because I could basically charge whatever I could get to take you from the landing station to wherever the closest pop was. And that's what the hyperscalers and the new market demand doesn't want to deal with. Nobody wants to be beholden to one or two people who can charge you whatever they want to get you from the landing station back to the city pop. If essentially, if the interconnect point is the landing station, then that solves that problem, right? I can. You know, take my capacity and do what I'm do what I'm going going to do. So,
0: okay. So, so, the, so this modular solution was developed specifically for this land uh, for this landing station use case.
1: Well, it was designed to be to be able to satisfy that kind of use case, right? So, the use case where you needed less scaled down capacity, right? Not scale up. We're really good at building multi-megawatt facilities. We know how to do that. It's it's scaled
0: down because these cables tend to land in. Yeah, they, they tend to be smaller, smaller but you know, we could,
1: we could go into smaller, smaller scenarios as they develop. If, if more develop, but right now what we see is cable landing stations. So that's what we're working
0: on. Another new thing for Equinix are green bonds. Uh, the company priced $1.35 billion in green bonds last year, another 1.1 billion euros earlier this year, Um, and from what I understand, this is basically a way to borrow capital which you commit to using to fund sustainability projects, renewable energy, energy efficiency improvements in data centers. Um, There is now a lot more appetite from investors in this sort of offering. Um, Give us an overview of how Equinix is spending this money. Um, what sorts of projects is it going towards specifically? And, and then also whether anything has materialized already from that first green bond offering last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got um, various different projects that we're working on at any given time. So, you know, how do we become more efficient in our use of water? How do we become more efficient in our procurement of building materials? Um, how do we procure building materials that have a lower carbon footprint than traditional you know building materials? Uh, where do we source our power from? Um, how do we do power delivery, right? You don't always have to necessarily buy it from a power grid. So all of those types of projects um, require, you know some level of of capital and so what we've committed to basically do and we recently did this um we've had a, an objective for a long time internally to be carbon neutral um by 2030 and so recently we joined one of the european uh groups that basically have the same same objective
0: the we eu got together green data our... center pact
1: yes yes exactly Um, And so, essentially, the green bonds are a way to invest in what we have to do to all of our physical infrastructure to go ahead and get to, you know, that goal. And, you know, good news for us is, you know, this has been a project, although it's obviously something people are paying more attention to now, this has been something we've been working on for a long time. So, we're already, you know, at 91% um, green. And so, you know, from our perspective, you know, this is what our customers want. 91%
0: Right, 91% green meaning meaning there is enough an, an equivalent number of carbon offsets. Yeah, it's offs- a combination that.
1: Yes, yeah. So there's obviously the case where you can buy direct uh, supplier. There's the case where you're buying directly a, a REC, right? right. A uh, and then there's you know uh, VPPPs, right? Where you know it's getting bundled up because you're investing in parts other parts of the grid uh, to get uh, to gain that. And so generally in big developed markets like you know, Europe and the U S North America, it's easy to do. Um, and we very aggressively do that um, in other parts of the world. It's a bit harder. So you, we, you know, we're not at hundred percent, but that is obviously the objective.
0: And it sounds like now that Google is kind of aggressively pursuing this green energy around the clock goal saying that just buying RECs that are un- unbundled from actual energy, isn't that effective. And so they really want to figure this out.
1: Yeah, you've seen there's more of an interest in like to say the virtual power purchase agreements because in the virtual power purchase agreement scenario, you're adding capacity, green capacity to the system, right? And so the idea is that if you've got all these very large consumers of power like us or a hyperscaler doing that, then essentially what you're doing is making it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to buy green energy on a global basis, even though there will be locations you know parts of the country where you know like wind isn't available everywhere certain parts of the of even the united states are predominantly still you know fossil fuel based uh, systems and people are making investments and figuring out other ways to do it but it's not available today so
0: is there ever a situation where okay i'm looking at this location and i am say a google or another or maybe a software company and i'm looking at this data center here but unfortunately i there's not there's not a way to get a bunch of wind power in that location has there been a situation where that's a deal breaker
1: um, i don't know if i've ever heard of somebody not going to a place where there was demand like i said i think the you know the industry is trying to build up like i said enough capacity and to drive down the cost of actually doing the builds in You know various different ways in different parts of the country like i said if you're in the middle of the country wind is great right if you're off the coast you know you always hear about now they're putting wind farms that are you know far enough out that you don't see them from the beach but you know and you see wave generation there's all sorts of you know things that are being invested in so you know i don't think the industry is at a point where it's it's going to say oh i'm not going to build in a place specifically right but certainly there's a huge amount of interest um, on our part and other companies like us to you know kind of lead in this space and convert uh, to green energy and so you know now I think there's more tools you know I mean there's you know we didn't have green bonds several years ago now we do so you know it's it's growing in importance I think um, not just to companies like us but others you see more and more companies now you know. Uh, joining various different initiatives.
0: And uh, we talk a lot about emerging data center markets on DCK. Um, the U S is pretty well saturated. That's the story with data center infrastructure. And there is much faster growth happening in markets where there haven't been that many data centers before, um, such as Bordeaux. Equinix has been one of the companies driving this trend, um, for a few years now, you guys are, you know, expanding in Latin America, recently entered Mexico. Uh, in Asia. Equinix recently entered India. Um, Can you, well, first explain what was the rationale for entering Mexico when you did and how do you expect things to progress in that market going forward?
1: Yeah, so that's actually, that's a really good question. So, you know, the thing about um, our customer base that I think, you know, people don't necessarily uh, appreciate. I guess this is like, it, it's it's in our materials, it's public information, but it, it's in very important to how we think, right? And so um, if you thought about our customer base, um, 88% of our customers are in more than one Metro, right? 74% are in more than one uh, region, and the regions being the Americas, uh, EMEA and APAC, right? So big regions, right? And then 62% of our customers are in all regions, right? So like I said, it goes back to that land and expand, you know, kind of a thing. We have a very high affinity for multinational companies, right? And multinational companies do business in big cities all over the planet, not just in, you know, the United States or Western Europe or, you know, the... Uh, certain big cities in Asia. So we're always looking, you know, obviously, you know, I think the good example, like you said, would be Mexico, right? Mexico City is a big, big, big city, <laughs> right? Uh, Mumbai
0: is a big, big, big so, city. So what, what drove you guys to to Mexico? What was it there? Was it was it a, a customer? Was it a critical mass of customers that wanted to be there?
1: Uh, it's just, you know, constant, you know, we're always assessing demand. So it's, you know, we'd always been asked um, about that. And, you know, we finally were able to get, you know, a deal that we wanted to get done. We did, you know, in that particular case, we went in inorganically and, you know, did a purchase, mm-hmm. right, uh, with Axtel uh, to take over their facilities. You know, it's it's not, say, it's that different than what we just did in Canada. We've been in Canada for a very long time, but just in Toronto, right? So we were in one city, the biggest city, but just one city <laughs> in the entire country. Um, and like what's happened in other you know examples of telecom in north america a lot of the operators have decided that you know being in the data center business and being a network operator are not the same thing um, in the same way that we bought verizon's data centers so we bought bells data centers mm-hmm. so similar with you know mexico so when you can you know we've always got given who our customers are we've always got demand against these places that we're we're not the question is can you find the right deal right? I so see. we're always looking.
0: I see. And so same question about India. You also went in there through an acquisition. Uh, and it was a similar deal. There was always there's always demand, except now you guys found an appropriate deal to as a point of entry. Yeah.
1: yeah uh, no, and we've, yeah, that was a good point of entry. And we've been very open about the fact that, you know, we're continuing to look at other large cities in India. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's not a secret that we probably will end up in more places over the next several years in india than we are today
0: okay jim that's all i have thank you so much
1: well thanks for having me it's been fun